three mandatory actions to successfully launch a task force. Welcome to the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast, Episode 8. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast. I am Georg Lora, and this is the podcast about realizing and managing your projects within the embedded systems realm. It's where I give you the know-how and teach you the ways to succeed and overcome your daily obstacles and problems in project work. Today's episode contains the second part of the Task Force series. I will give you three mandatory actions to successfully launch a task force. In episode 6, we started with the Task Force series with five essential basics when your task force becomes successful. Today, we'll begin with the gory details and have a look at the first step in task forcing, the launch phase. Let's start right into it. Why is the launch phase that essential? Let's imagine the situation of an arrow and the bow. If you, are, if you have a bow and you use the arrow, and at the moment you release the arrow, you don't have any further impact or access to the arrow. All the things you have done before are essential for the direction, the force and the speed of the arrow. Everything what you have done good or what you have done wrong becomes an impact on the final arrow's direction and the amplitude and, uh, and the speed and the vector overall. So the success, whether you hit the goal or not, or what you what you what your aim of the target becomes correct or not, is a success which is hidden in already the very first step and in every further step of releasing the arrow from the bow. So and this is exactly the same with a task force. The launch phase is that essential because if you underestimate it, um, you might end up in a very difficult situation. I have observed that and experienced that one time by myself and I have thrown myself under the bus with that approach. I have had a very lousy start with the, with the task force, didn't take care for anything much, simply jumped into it and yeah, tried to survive somehow without any preparation and I ended up with the wrong persons in the team with no time schedule after all, but everybody expected that things are done. No goals, no defined goals, so it was not clarified when we have achieved the finish. And with a too often schedule that ended up that we were permanently meeting but not, not progressing, and the whole situation ended up in disaster. That was the moment where I detected that things must be done differently with a task force. To successfully launch a task force that will run successfully afterwards and also end up successfully, hopefully, um, there are several key indicators. Let's have a look at them. First, not very surprising, the objectives. Objectives must be, of course, clear and precise. If you do not have clear and precise and well-understood objectives, you will end up in a never-ending story 
because you do not know what you are really hunting, you don't know when you have really reached the goal. Finally, you don't know no, no you don't know anything at all. The second key indicator for a successful launch of the task force are the constraints. You must be fully aware of your time, the budget you have, and also the kind of measurements, for example, like customer satisfaction is done. Not as a goal, but as a kind of constraint, as a restriction. So we have already two key indicators, objectives, constraints. When a third one is here, the need. So what is needed for the task force to be run? That must be defined by you or by the one who runs the task force or at least launches the task force. That also covers the question for to engage the right one. You need the persons who are really progressive for your task force. And you need to keep the balance between geniuses and handsome persons. How often end task forces up because the geniuses of the, of the company are stuffed into one project or in one task force and we start fighting each other and the outcome becomes zero. Now this, is, this is no good approach. So we have as key indicators, objectives, constraints, the need, and the fourth and last key indicator is the schedule. Very often, the management requires several times a day a meeting for the task force. So they, would, uh, they prefer to see that the task force is sitting together the whole time and discussing the problem. But very often this would be contradicting because the part of discussion and clarification must be followed by action and processing. And this could very often not be done together, so, but it must be done by, by single persons and uh, everybody has his task to fulfill and after that we meet again. But too often will reduce your effectiveness because you get stuck in these meetings And also the, eff uh, the effectivity, because you are wasting the effort, you are wasting the resources. If we imagine that if you have two times a day a one-hour meeting for your task force and you have an eight-hour workday, you end up with 25% of the working time be spent for the task force meeting. If some of you guys have two task force meetings in parallel, he will 50% of his time's not work for the progress of the task force, but sit in the meeting of the task force. This is real waste from my perspective. These are the key indicators for a successful launch of a task force. But how to achieve these successful launch, how to, uh, to, how to fulfill these key indicators? And here I have my three mandatory actions. The first action is define, the second is organize, the third is handle limitations. First, the define. Any objectives needs to be defined precisely and clearly. How to achieve this preciseness and clearness? There is a way to do that, that's the, uh, the so-called SMART approach, and SMART Here is an acronym, and this acronym 
stands for S like specific. That means you need to target a specific area for improvement. It should not be an arbitrary target, but it must be specific. It must be named. It must be clarified. It must be taken down to a specific point. The M stands for measurable. The target needs to be quantified. Or, if that is not directly possible, you need at least suggest an indicator of the progress. Don't use target definitions or objective definitions which are not measurable. Because it becomes an arbitrary result afterwards. You don't know whether you are progressing or not. It must be also, the that's the A here, it must be assignable. It, an objective must be specified who will do it. And the R stands for realistic. The state what results can realistically be achieved give by, by the given available resources. So that means that any objective you are following or you are agreeing needs to be realistic. If somebody comes to you and say, so your goal will be to jump three meters high without a pole, of course, and without any other support, when this is unrealistic. And it's not worth to follow that goal. And therefore, keep in mind that goals needs to be realistic. And the last letter is the T, and that stands for time-related. It must be specified when the results can be achieved. If you follow all these five indicators for an objective, you will end up with very well-defined objectives you can follow quite easily and you also observe that you are coming closer to the objective or not. The second part of the define action is the or belongs to the resources. You need to define the resources you have or you need. For example, you need to define the knowledge you need in your task force. Of course, task force sounds nice, but you need to have the right persons. That seems to be um, a common place to, to, to say it, but very often it's overseen that you need the right persons for that one. You need the knowledge to solve your particular situation. And on the other side, you also need persons who, who can act. You need guys who do the action. Very often, a task force, there are only the thinkers inside. But we end up the moment we have to evaluate things or we have to analyze things in a way of a practical approach when you need someone to simply do the job. This must be clarified and defined during this first phase. So we have in the first phase defined, we have objectives which must be defined and the resources which must be defined. Let's come to the second action, the organize. Let's start with people, when we will have the schedule and the invitation. The first part, and from my perspective, the most important part of any launch phase is organizing the persons, the participants of the, of the task force members. The participants, that's very often quite hard to select them because you have to consider a variety of attributes 
the team members have to fulfill. First of all, you need guys with a mandatory knowledge. A knowledge of, for example, the system itself, or the technology, or the methodology of the whole system, or all three of them. You also need persons who are affected by the problem. I mean, very often the guys who are most affected by the problems are the guys who will give the task force a major push and also provide the power to continue. Often, the, uh, if, if you don't have such kind of persons inside of the task force, you might end up with endless discussions with no outcome here because there is no real intention behind of that to achieve a result. Of course, you have the goals for a time schedule, for example, but that does not necessarily affect the, the participants. But if, if you have a push and power person inside, you will see what it will bring because it, it goes forward with such kind of guys inside. A third one, a third kind of persons who should be inside of the, of the task force should be the ones who are in, involved in the creation of the problem or the ones who invented the problem. So, for example, the engineers who are providing the original situation, for example, the piece of code, or the, the hardware piece, or the product itself. That might be also the designer who has designed, designed the overall system, or the architect who is responsible for the overall architecture of the, of the whole family or of, of the whole system. A fourth kind of participant are the ones who are in, involved in the evaluation or the finding or the testing of the situation or the problem itself. So you need guys who do the action. These, these are the ones regularly who do action and who provide um, evaluation of assumptions and continuous uh, progressing uh, and providing results of, of ideas These are testers or field engineers or uh, customer support engineers who are directly at the, uh, involved in the faulty situation or in the problem situation. These are four general types of persons who should be engaged into the task force. There are two other kind of participants you should consider. Very often it's helpful to have someone inside who gives a a good or strong push forward to your goal. I have already one mentioned, it's the one who are affected by the problem, but there might be also other stakeholders or even managers who have a quite strong interest that the task force succeeds. It's sometimes helpful to invite them into the meeting to get the, the uh, attention by the other ones or by other line managers, or also by other program managers, that there is something important ongoing. So this is very often a tactical decision. Do it or do it not, but please keep it in mind. Might be helpful sometimes. And the second one are also some kind of, I name them placeholders. For example, you imagine you will most likely, imagine you have a, a software problem, but there is a hardware involved into that problem. But currently, it does not look like the hardware is really a part of the problem situation or might be affected by the, by the objectives or by the resolution. But you might be interested to hold them informed or to keep them informed. So instead of, that, instead of sending them permanently the minutes, it might be necessary or helpful 
to invite one of them. Simply that they stay in touch for the whole time. That's something I call the placeholder. Keep that in mind. It might be helpful sometimes to have someone like that in the task force meeting additionally. What about if you don't find the right persons? That's a problem I regularly stumble in because I don't know everybody. I don't know the ones who are really responsible for, for particular parts and when you have to search. If you don't know it out of mind, then start with your colleagues. Ask the ones who are quite close to you and ask others and ask the group who is in charge for the, for the problem. Ask their line managers. And if, if you have enough uh, resources for that, you can look into old mails or old meeting minutes. A general crapping of this kind of information might be helpful. So there might have been a similar problem some time ago, even years ago, where people were engaged from this party you are now looking for. And then you will find names. So give the guys a chance, talk to them, whether they are responsible or still responsible and whether they could join your task force for that, for that reason. I have observed that very often the guys who were uh, who were engaged or were in charge years before are no longer in charge for that for that um, kind of problems or kind of uh, yeah of area. In that case, I ask for the successor. Who is the one who is now taking care for? I have done that game that far that I have uh, asked persons who have already left the company to tell me. Maybe you know who was at that time responsible or do you know who might know details? If you do that in a very kind way and a very humble way, it's you very often got a result and you, or you get a response which leads you to, to a good end or even to nowhere. But it's only um, an investment of a short of a few seconds to do that. That's the first part of the organized action. The second part of the organized action is to think about the schedule. I have a rule of thumb that that's once per day. A meeting once per day, not more. And no longer when I regularly start with something like 30 minutes, not, not more. In exceptional cases, I do 60 minutes, but um, I prefer to have less than 30. So my preferable uh, duration of the meeting for a task force is 50 minutes, quarter of an hour. It's regularly sufficient to do that because you're only collecting, distributing information, um, find, a new, uh, find a new direction and continue and organize the, the, the next schedules and organize the next actions. So that means the, the schedule should be as short as possible, but as long as needed or as often as needed. Uh, there was one exception I have done sometimes, very seldomly, a two times a day schedule But that was the moment I have had two time zones which were so far apart from each other that they have no overlapping time slot. And then I have to artificially create the overlapping uh, by doing one meeting in the morning and one meeting in the afternoon. But this is very challenging because you have to keep or pay attention that there is no contradicting um, ongoing action. The third part of this organized step is the invitation. Sounds nasty. What about this invitation? But do a good invitation and you have already half of the persons on board. How should a good invitation look like? 
I have provided you a template in the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 08. Have a look at it and adapt it for your own needs and yeah, try to use it the next time. So we have already two steps or two actions from, from these three mandatory actions to successfully launch a task force. It was first to define, second to organize, and third now how to handle limitations. Very often the usual limitation you have is you do not get the persons you want. Simply like that. You get some substitute person. Hmm. I prefer to be straight. I mean, if it's not possible without the person you have requested, so it's a mandatory person, decline the action. Decline the task force. Say it's not possible. If you don't know whether it's not possible or whether you are whether it's only the optimal person, but you would also accept another one, then accept. I would use a fallback here. I regularly do something like a request on demand. I accept the substitute, but I raise the request that I could on demand get the original expert. And very supportive is that you ensure or that you get the confirmation that the substitute has a direct access to the original specialist. I have very good experience with that approach because you have two benefits of that. First, you get a person. And second, even you do not get the original one, the original expert, you have a substitute who is very eager to support because this one knows he is not the original expert. And then there is a good communication. And that's something you need to request from the, from the stakeholder or from the line manager behind of that. But then it runs very often quite smoothly. I have sometimes already also seen that after a few meetings or after a few task force meetings, the original expert jumps into the, into the meeting because he gets sick of all that uh, forth and back uh, passing of information and this indirect playing. Another limitation which needs to be handled is if you do not get the time or the environment or, or not the budget. When it's quite simple. You either decline it totally, if it's unrealistic, or you accept with restrictions. You need to outline what's possible in the given time, with the given environment, or with the given budget. And here, you need to understand the situation. That's essential. Without understanding the technical situation, you will not be able to withstand the approaches from the, from the relevant line managers or from the relevant responsibles. Because they will try to convince you and push you into this challenge here. And if you then have no good arguments why it is not possible to do it that way and you need a different approach, you're already lost. So keep an eye on that. If you do not get enough time, environment or budget, then you need to understand the situation and dig out what is really possible with the given situation. These were the three mandatory actions to launch a successful task force. That was first, define objectives and resources. Second, organize people, the schedule and the invitation. And third, how to handle limitations, persons, time, environment and budget. 
These were my three mandatory actions I use when starting a task force. Of course, I do not do them that explicitly. It's more or less a natural habit to keep these details in mind and use them. What about you? What's your preferred way in task forcing? Do you have a particular procedure? I'd love to hear from you. Please contact me. All the contact information is available at the website embeddedsuccess.com. And please remember to share with me your thoughts and your feedback by commenting on the show notes of this episode at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 08. Now I've given you some of the know-how and some of the ways to gracefully handle your embedded systems projects. It's time for you to take these details into your daily work for achieving your passion and finding success. I'm Georg Lora from the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. Thank you for listening.